If you have a Bible, you can be turning to Mark chapter 8, as that's where we will be. Call The call of Jesus is inclusive. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he desires all people, all people, everyone, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus does not hinder, object to, or reject to, reject to anyone who would come to him. We're going to see that today. But what we're also going to see is that Jesus is entirely exclusive in his calling. I've likened to what one comedian has said. He says, you don't clean yourself up to take a bath. (laughs) And so while all dirty people are invited to the proverbial tub, (laughs) the hope is all dirty people are going to get cleaned up. So the call of Jesus, as inclusive as it is, has very exclusive implications. We're going to see that a little bit painfully today. With that being said, let me bring you up to the context of our passage before we read it. We're just going to read four verses today. Where we found ourselves last week is that Jesus and his disciples really had an exchange where all the proverbial cards were put out on the table. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? And they responded correctly that Jesus is none other than the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, The long prophesied about awaited king of the Jews. However, their view of what the king is and how he should be differed greatly than what Jesus revealed in Mark 8, 31-33. That is, Jesus is to be betrayed, rejected, handed over to death by none other than the religious leaders over them of their day. Peter sought to rebuke Jesus, but in turn, Jesus rebuked Peter And where we find ourselves is really kind of a continuation or elaboration on Jesus' words to Peter, and that is, Peter has had his mind on the things of man and not on the things of God. So stand with me, follow along, just four verses today. We're starting in Mark 8, 34. Mark writes, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you unworthy to preach these words. Because this is a lifelong process that I fail at miserably at times. That's why I need your Holy Spirit to preach these words. Father, many of us are going to want to object to these words. We're going to want to reject your voice. We're going to want to walk away embarrassed, ashamed, or angry at these words. Would you break our hearts? Would you soften our hearts? Would you speak to us? 
Would we accept conviction? By your grace and your Holy Spirit alone, would we repent and become more like you? That's my heart's desire. I can't speak for any other hearts here today. Say what you would please. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? You're sitting in Woodland Fringe Church. Friends idea coming from places like John 15 where Jesus tells his disciples, You are my friends if you do what I command. So do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Unless you, unless you believe that there's any differentiation between a disciple of Jesus, whereas merely just being a, a follower or a supporter or an endorser of Jesus, as in, well, of course, I believe that Jesus is real, and, and sure, I, I cling to him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, yada, 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 whatever that means, but to go any further, well, that's just really for the really devout Jesus, here today in this passage, has news for you. Says, and calling the crowd to him, that's everyone who would listen, everyone who might think that they can just be on the sidelines, but not in the game. They can have endorsements and offer moral support, but that's it. Jesus calls the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said to him, if anyone would come after me. One of my translations, the Holman Christian Standard, says, if anyone wants to be my follower, still others that are probably before you, what you're reading says, whosoever will come after me, whoever desires to come after me. I want you to get get the picture that this is Jesus saying, if you want to be on my team, if you want to be counted among the church when I return, If you want to even say, period, that you are a Christian, then listen up. What we're going to see today is that Jesus does not have two levels of Christians. Though many Christians think that there are two or maybe even more, there is not mediocre consumer Christian and then devout Christian. There is not Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night Christian, as well as just Sunday two-hour service Christian. And I'm not trying to step on toes here. And if I am, I'm stepping on all toes. Because attendees of multiple services are not any different, they're not any more holy than those who just come on Sunday morning. Jesus is about to explain to us what a true follower of him looks like. And lo and behold, he doesn't gauge it on ours in the church building. We'll continue. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself... Take up his cross and follow me. I want you to pause. I want you to saturate in. Think on. Swallow, if you can, these words. I was sitting in Starbucks and I couldn't swallow it. I was like, whoa. You want me to preach on this today? Well, it's in Mark, buddy. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These 18 words are going to be the focal point of the rest of our time together. Because these 18 words are the mark of a true Christian. 
Not a more devout Christian, not a level two veteran. It's just the marks of a true Christian. I want you to see here that contrary to the American idea of privatized, compartmentalized religion, Jesus doesn't leave a category open. For the, I'm a pew warmer, I got work to do all week, I still put my two cents in on the offering plate, I got blessed assurance that I'm saved, I'll leave the more rigorous Christian stuff to those who just naturally like church stuff more than I do. No, instead, Jesus says to all people who would come after him, claim to be a Christian. If you're stepping in the door as a way of saying, I'm on Team Jesus, then just this is just for you. Again, I don't say this to make those who don't come to church more often to feel guilty, because again, we see in Jesus' description, he didn't lay out the desire for more hours in the church. No, Jesus goes deeper, he cuts sharper, he steps on more toes. Even the religious people among us are convicted today, because Jesus is just that good. I want to take a pause here, because some of you don't like the tone of my voice. (laughs) I wrote this sermon and I speak this sermon from a place of humble contrition, a place of expressed sorrow and crying through these words and saying, Lord, I don't want to do this. But to be the voice of Jesus, I also need to be a voice of authority. And I find the authority in realizing that where I am unworthy, still sinful, Christ, the risen King, my Savior, is altogether perfect. So I'm here with you listening to Christ. And accepting his conviction. <clears throat> Excuse me, need some water. <clears throat> Three things Jesus says that all Christians are to be. We're supposed to deny ourselves. We're supposed to pick up our cross. And we need to, as Jesus calls all disciples at the beginning of the book of Mark, we need to follow him. That is our framework. Firstly, we need to deny ourselves. Denying self means to let go of personal determination. We live in a culture that in stark contrast, the polar opposite of this truth, of the beckoning of our Lord and teacher to deny oneself, we live in a culture that produces and consumes, that takes pride in personal choice and opinion and self-actualization, not self-denial. I want you to see, though, that Jesus doesn't call people to self-denial senselessly. Right? I don't want us to walk away saying, well, Jesus says to deny myself, so I'll just starve and I won't enjoy anything because I need to deny at all times what I want. That is not what Jesus is saying. Many Christians trip over this passage and think that holiness, that that discipleship is just found in these weird obscure, abstract things such as pointless self-mutilation, self-starvation, reasonless law-keeping, kind of a be-miserable-for-Jesus mentality. Uh, We're going to discover in a few moments that this call to self-denial, while it seems very illogical, is the most satisfying thing a human can do. The denial of self that Jesus is talking about here is really fleshed out in verses 35 through 37. So let's go there first, and then we're going to return to the latter two things. 
Since Jesus elaborates mostly on denial of self, though, that's going to be the majority of our time today. Verses 35 through 37 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? There are four instances of the same Greek word in these three verses. However, interestingly enough, the ESV records it as two different words. So does the King James, the New King James. So the words life and soul are in actuality the same Greek word in all four instances. In some instances throughout the Bible, it can simply mean a physical existence. However, it takes on more concrete, at the same time, very abstract meaning. It can mean personhood, it can mean being, it can mean soul, the life force, and the idea that is not limited to boundaries of time and space. See, you and I are creatures with living souls. We don't just occupy time on the calendar, we don't just occupy space in the world. Trees outside, they alive, they come and go, they occupy years on the calendar and space in the earth, but they do not have the same sort of importance significance, lasting memory, and spiritual effect as people do. I wrote this sermon while Christy, my wife, was in Cottonwood, through the occupied, though she was at the occupied space in Cottonwood, in a duration from Tuesday to Saturday, there was something more profound, something more spiritual, something more real that exists in the relationship between her and I. To where it wasn't just a scientific absence that disrupted my chemical makeup. But there was something deeper going on. Just like we might observe animals, like Rocket really likes playing with Julie's dogs. Rocket, I'm sorry, does not miss them. He gets happy when he sees them, but there's no, you know, nudging me, let's go over to Julie's house. So the whole idea that that soul, life, Vitality, God breathed breath into humanity. That's summed up in this word of life or soul. I want to visually dissect this verse 35. And it says, For whoever would save his life, his soul, his being, will lose it. And whoever loses his life or his soul, being, for my sake in the Gospels, will save it. If you have a pen or a highlighter, circle, underline, highlight the words if you can. For my sake, or some of yours might say, because of me. Whatever your translation says, that's key to understanding what Jesus means by self-denial. It is a denial of self because it is a placement of Jesus in our lives where usually we like to put ourselves at. It is a placement, a prioritizing of Jesus. Jesus is talking about who are you living for? So in the self-denial, he's beckoning people ultimately not to live for themselves. He's beckoning people to God-glorification, not self-actualization. Whoever would save his life. Is this not a pursuit of everyone today? Is this not what America in some ways is founded on? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You are free to do whatever you want to ensure the utmost in your life. Job opportunities are there, education is there, everything is within your reach. 
Now, are jobs and education wrong or sinful? No. Is money in the bank sinful? No. But if the means to these ends are selfish attempts at contentedness and security and not used to worship God, then Jesus is saying that's not the mark of a disciple. It will ultimately bring a loss to our lives. Let me say that again. If the means to these ends are selfish attempts at contentedness and security, and they are not used to worship God, then you are not a disciple of Jesus. You are headed for a loss in your life. You are not to look out for your own contentedness and security. God's got that covered. And though his idea of comfort, his idea of solace and peace and satisfaction may differ from your idea, I'll just state the obvious and say that God's idea is probably right, yours is probably wrong. Some of you right now, I, I fear, are bringing out what one of the pastors I listens to, or you're bringing out the small attorney in your brain. And it looks like this. Well, my pursuits can honor and worship God. It may not always... And well, the self-denial thing, like you said, it's not a miserable for Jesus attitude, so I can probably still, and you're just building this case. And that's a hardened heart trying to downplay conviction. I'm going to encourage you to accept the conviction and respond obediently. Accept the conviction and respond obediently. One of my dear friends approached me lately, going through a hard time. He says, He's a Christian, and he says, I feel like a slave. I feel like a tool in just this big machine. Uh, I go to work, I clock in, I make money, I take money from my workplace, it goes to my bank, and then it pays the bills. I never see it. And I just do this every day, so I don't get it. And he says, is that all there is for life? Am I just supposed to find some sort of small enjoyment out of my family and make just these small memories, and then 70 years later, you know, and all I've done is take money from one place to another, and is that it? Reminded me of what Solomon, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, who basically says the same thing in Ecclesiastes 1. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at what she toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on the circuits of the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. You're like, is that in the Bible? (laughs) Some of you, like my friend, I wonder if you're there. (laughs) Some of you feel like you're a cog in a machine, a robot, in a world of of, of systems and structures, and you're discontented. Jesus says this about himself. He is someone greater than Solomon. And he comes and he says, Solomon had it right. Don't fall into the trap. Don't seek to save your life, to just survive. Don't save your life, because like Solomon, you'll lose it. Solomon summarized that passage to begin with, actually in Ecclesiastes 1-2. And he calls it 
vanity or uselessness or meaninglessness, like a vapor of breath, pointless, futile. In other words, this is a very hard word to translate, and those are all different translations of the Bible. But do you get the idea? (laughs) That's what life is like. And Jesus says it's lost. Life is lost when you're so desperate to save it. And so Jesus says, I know you're lost. And then what's really peculiar is then he says, be okay with that and come to me. Right? Give up on trying to save your life. You're lost. It'll never work. Lose your life for my sake. Come to me. Right? Whoever loses his life for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. Then Jesus reveals something. The drastic discontent of seeking to save one's life by losing it. It's not a matter of discontent. It's not a matter of worldly pursuit. But ultimately, it is a matter of the soul. Again, that word for life, the losing and gaining of life, it's the same word as soul in verses 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? One of my commentaries states it beautifully. He says, it takes the word of Jesus to teach the infinite worth of the human soul. And he alone is sufficient to preserve it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That line right there, I don't know if you noticed, but it's like the plot line of every good movie we like. Is it not? The movie of the rich, grumpy man who, after a series of incidents, finds out that his power, prestige, and riches just don't satisfy him. And then where most movies and stories go after that is wrong, because usually it doesn't go to Jesus, but it goes to something that might ultimately satisfy. It's a Wonderful Life, (laughs) A Christmas Carol, the story of George Banks and Mary Poppins. (laughs) I dare you to pick up a celebrity magazine. Straight from the mouth of a singer... A big hit, and I only know this song because I hear it a lot in the radio at work, so I don't listen to Britney Spears. (laughs) But this is what she says in her chorus. Isn't she lovely, this Hollywood girl? And they say she's so lucky, she's a star, but she cries in her lonely heart thinking, if there's nothing missing in my life, then why did these tears come at night? The point being is that there's this myth out there that satisfaction, that fulfillment comes from being on top We live in a world that just ignores spiritual ramifications and instead it it, it seeks physical and material things. And Jesus is saying, you think it's a matter of saving life, security, stability, comfort. But Jesus, the creator of God in the flesh, who knows us inside and out, is saying it's not a physical life matter, it's a soul matter. You and I might think we're looking for some sort of ultimate peace and satisfaction. But ultimately, all that we're doing is seeking to fill a God-shaped hole in our souls. And by definition, that hole can only be shaped or filled by God. Isaiah, I use this verse a lot, I like it. Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, says, The people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So when the Creator becomes flesh, he says... He says, saving one's life is a way to losing one's soul. But then he states the positive. Losing one's life into the cause of me, the creator, it is there that one finds it. 
It seems like Jesus is speaking from a knowledge of why you and I were even created to begin with. We were formed to praise, to worship God. So Jesus forewarns, whoever would save his life will lose it. And I say Jesus forewarns, but he's not doing it as a parent might say, don't do that or you'll get a spanking. If I can liken it to a parental warning, it's more, please don't run out in the road. You might get run over. See, I think a lot of people, Americans especially, we, we take any and every warning and command and demand from the Bible and the mouth of Jesus as a joy robber, not as a life giver. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear. So it doesn't make sense, though it's upside down, though it seems illogical, for one to lose their life. For the cause of Christ is to find it. So Jesus forewarns, he beseeches, he pleads on account of his grace, his love, and his concern, and his care for humanity. Don't try to save your life. Don't work for your own kingdom, your own glory, your own satisfaction. Don't sink your energy into personal fulfillment and self-glorying and self-pleasuring and self-worth. It's just not worth it. All your efforts will be in vain. Jesus, God in the flesh, who sees into the future and sees that you will fail and you will fall and you will lose your life, even if you do everything within your power to save it. It will be unsatisfying and you will have lost it. Jesus, the creator of our souls, says lose your life and to find your soul in him. Only Jesus satisfies Paul says it this way in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might, excuse me, that I may gain Christ. Paul, in context there, was talking about how he had made it through the social ladder in the Jewish faith. He was a top dog, a Pharisee, he had prestige, power, influence. He held fear over Christians because he was persecuting them. But he counted all of his worth as a loss for the sake of Christ. And in fact, verse 8, he says that he counts everything as loss because he finds, quote, surpassing worth in knowing Christ Jesus. To be a disciple, to follow after Jesus, do you know the surpassing worth in Christ Jesus? Second thing we need to do, according to verse 34, Jesus says we need to pick up our cross, ultimately to follow him. We are 2,000 years removed from eras of church history adopting the cross as its universal symbol. It's become a symbol of peace, a symbol of wholesomeness, a symbol where Upon the road, drivers might look and think hospital, (laughs) community service, hopefully nice people, sometimes very bad judgmental people, but you get the idea. In other words, though we know the implications that Jesus is stating here, we might be quick to filter the idea of the cross through our modern lenses. See, the cross for Jesus' hearers did not provoke images of church services, peace, welfare, or wholesomeness. To speak of the cross was a disturbing thing. It was disorienting. It was not for polite conversation. 
And so Jesus has a desired outcome, a desired mental provocation, when he uses this word, these words, pick up the cross and follow him. What happened in crucifixion is so barbarous, so savage, so inhumane, that I struggle to find a contemporary picture. It was state-sponsored terror. And in fact, it's well known that the Islamic extremist group ISIS, it crucifies people. And contrary to the watered-down Bible pictures, most victims were completely naked. And as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 52:14, by the time that the sufferer makes it to the cross, their appearance is so marred that it's even hard to make out that they were human. There were whippings and lashings, flesh ripped off, tenderized, bones breaking and coming out of the body. I would not tell you to Google images of ISIS crucifixion. <laughs> so it was disturbing in Jesus' day to even mention the cross. When someone walks through town in a public place, you're disturbed if they're holding a cross. Likely the person bearing the cross is covered in a bloody mess, you know that this is their last day before their fatal, unspeakable suffering. Their, quote, excruciating, which comes from the same word to describe crucifixion. It was invented to describe the pain at crucifixion, excruciating. So with this pain is cruelty, suffering, dehumanization, and shame. And Jesus states that disciples of him are to deny themselves and pick up their cross. For Jesus, and many of his followers listening, this is a prophetic word, that many would pick up a literal cross and be crucified. For many Christians today, suffering at the hands of people like ISIS, this is a literal response of discipleship. But in one way or another, you and I are to pick up the social stigma of the cross. <clears throat> you know, if I weren't so convicted, being a Christian... There might be a little less cruelty, might be a little less suffering, a little less shame given to me. Because being a Christian in today's secular culture has a social stigma that it brings. Social cruelty, social shame. And I do not say this in any way to dismiss the true physical pain of literal physical suffering at Christians in the hands of terrorists. But Jesus states that his disciples... There's supposed to be a denial of self as well as an outward stigma, an outward inflicted suffering that's caused. So let's think about these two things real quick. Let's focus on the first part of verse 34 again. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said to him, If anyone would come after me again, anyone who would enter the church walls for one reason or another shows interest, who says, Sure, I'll be on Team Jesus I'll whip the Bible out when he preaches. I'll support missionaries. This is what Jesus demands. What Jesus says that one must get themselves into. What one must do to be the kind of Christian that Jesus really wants. Jesus says, let him deny himself. Let him take off his cross. And let him follow me. wonder if you're gathered that Jesus is not trying to sell anything here. <laughs> and in fact, with a job description like that, why would anybody want to sign up? Right? Suppose a social club opens up downtown, and it's mysterious, and it says, free mansion, given to your family for endless generations. 
what? I'll take one. You go down there and you say, I want this mansion. What do I need to do? And then it says, deny yourself. You can have this mansion. Just don't spend the rest of your life trying to live a comfortable life. And uphold the beliefs and the statutes that this social club, uh, even if it brings you a little shame, a little social stigma, and do what we tell you, we might say, well, that's a lot of fine print. I can live without the mansion. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is not operating as an American church would. Let me just share from you a few website slogans and sayings from churches that, from a brief study, I think, for the most part, seems to be biblically based in sharing the word of God, perhaps in their Sunday mornings. But to bring people in, here's what some people say. Come as you are, but don't stay there. Leave inspired and encouraged to live a beautiful life. We offer a casual, warm atmosphere, uplifting music, and inspiring, relevant sermons. Join us. Also bring the kids. They will learn about Jesus and have a fun and have fun in a safe, welcoming environment. One church says it this way, that they have a mission to inspire people to live for Jesus. And their core values are to never hold back, live life together, believe the best in others, honor yesterday, and inspire tomorrow. Those are just two churches. I could be here all day. I dare you to just look at a church sign next time you drive by it and compare The point being is that we live in such a society devoted to the idea of selling the gospel. Meanwhile, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Any reader of the book of Mark, any familiarity with Jesus this far might recall, especially in the first chapters, the calling of people like Peter, Andrew, James, John, Levi, were admonitions to follow him. This word follow comes from the same words for alpha or one, and then road. It means in the same way with, to accompany, and it's more than just to follow me from my house to the store. It really means to become a disciple, to imitate, to learn, to be on the one and the same road with someone else. It's a soul kind of union. And that's the key. That's the kicker. The point of following Jesus, it is a soul union. It goes to that idea again of losing one's life, one's soul to find it. And when it comes to our souls, we need to lose it for the sake of Christ. In other words, we need to entrust it to Jesus, deny ourselves, and instead entrust it to the Creator who made us. Why? Because He made it to begin with. Because we were made to worship Him. Because the God-shaped hole will not be filled except with God. I tell you how I know the Bible is true and what Jesus says is true. Because if a religion was being made up and if a bunch of people wanted to write gospel accounts of Jesus with their imaginations and not with reality, and then try to sell it to people, vast amounts of skeptics believe that the gospel accounts were just fabrications. By the way, this declaration of what discipleship looks like is in all four gospel accounts. That's on your outline. If you want to make up a religion and make it believable, this is not the way you do it. I mean, at least offer a lifetime supply of cookies. Offer bacon, (laughs) coffee, Oreos, right, Vince, Oreos. (laughs) Anything but this. Jesus says... Deny yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow me. And and I'm surprised I got in the Bible, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have to be saying, well, 
This isn't going to get many responses. <laughs> but quite the opposite, it does get a lot of responses because it is just simply true. It's true. My job and Jesus' job is not to sell you anything. What Jesus is doing, and what I want you to see, is that he's being painfully honest. And some of us, we, we bristle. and We bristle for the wrong reasons. Just deny myself. Don't try to save my life. Don't try to live comfortably. What a joke. That's ridiculous. And, and I feel like Jesus is looking at us, and he sees it this way. He sees it as if somebody would be bristling and saying, Just don't play in traffic. That joy robber. What an idiotic idea. Don't jump off cliffs, whatever. That's so fun. See, Jesus is the creator. You were made with a soul that desires satisfaction and a satisfaction in an abundant life that is only found in Jesus. So yes, deny yourself. Deny your sinful tendencies to like your father and mother Adam and Eve, to listen to the lies of the enemy who would state, what if your life isn't meant to glorify God? What if your life is really meant to be God, to self-actualize? Friends, do you want to be disciples? His invitation on the outside looks like an invitation to self-misery. Denial of self, burdening of the cross. But friends, I hope you see the deeper truth. Like with Paul, there is a surpassing worth that comes in knowing Jesus. As Jesus says, there is a life abundant. What God has told us is what we were made for to begin with. It is the union in the garden, Adam and Eve with God, and that union was severed, and Jesus comes to reunite it. A union in which Adam and Eve didn't deny themselves, but instead listened to the stigmatic blows of the enemy against the Creator, and they followed the serpent to sever the union. And so it only makes sense that a Creator would say, if you want to untangle the mess... That is in this world, you need to deny yourself, unlike your first parents. You need to pick up the cross and bear the stigma that the enemy would burden you with and follow me, because only Jesus satisfies the soul. So I'm not selling you anything. I'm urging you. I'm imploring you. I'm begging you. Follow Jesus. I'm telling you, though, I know it's hard, but it's true. It's worth it. It's what you were made for. Only he satisfies. Nothing else will do. There is no mediocre, sideline disciple that will in any way find any satisfaction. The satisfaction that Jesus offers, as illogical as it is, as upside down as it is, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. I'm going to pray, and you're going to have a chance to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I've been honest with you, this week, this in no way makes sense to me. Because there's so many voices outside of your loud, booming voice here in the scriptures that would tell us otherwise. Many of us have the propensity or the audacity to want to kick you off the judgment seat and say, well, I'll be king for a while, let me interpret it. Let me figure out what it says, because surely it doesn't mean what it sounds like. Father, what if it does mean what it sounds like? And you invite us, you don't sell it to us, but you invite us into a satisfaction and an abundant life that is only found in you. 
What I fear is, is that I might have a tendency to forget that or to ignore you or to reject you and live my life trying to save it, trying to fill it, my soul, with things that will never satisfy. And yet here you are right now, giving me the answer. I pray that you would have complete freedom to do what you ask of us, that we would respond obediently. It may not be easy, but it is simple what you tell us to do. So, Father, for my friends in here who are struggling, as my, as my friend was, who feels so lost, just like a giant world of machines, and I'm just merely a robot, if that's where they're at today, I pray that they would find soul satisfaction in you. That they would accept you for all that you ask of them, and that they too would become disciples of Jesus. Because those are the only Christians that you're after. I thank you. I love you. Thank you for the grace that comes from Jesus. Thank you that you take my hand and that you listen to my cries of forgiveness. Thank you that you help me to repent. Thank you that you don't lord anything over me, but you stand and wait patiently for me. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask and pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.